Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's like you didn't have the memo for life. <laughs> like, I'd missed the instructions, right? And I felt really, really lost. Still, at the time when I like looked back, I think because of those large missing pieces and the sense that what had occurred, I think, right, a lot of the abuse is what was the missing pieces. The neglect was what felt like normal. I didn't really think when I started this journey, this is about my childhood, right? This is about what happened. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey beautiful souls, do you suffer with complex trauma, CPTSD? Maybe you've had a diagnosis Or maybe you're just feeling really lost at the moment, wondering why life feels this hard. You might be aware that things weren't great for you growing up, or you might not remember much at all, but you do feel like people around you got a memo about how to do life that you never got. I'm chatting with Sarah this week. Sarah got married young to her childhood sweetheart and almost immediately it felt like her life began falling apart. What was meant to be the start of the next wonderful chapter turned into something really difficult, really difficult. She felt lost, confused, unsafe. 
without having any idea why. And it actually took her nine years to find someone that could tell her that she had CPTSD. Nine years of trying to figure out what was wrong, of trying to live her life like she could see others were doing. Sarah has an amazing Instagram account called Breaking Down CPTSD, where she's sharing amazing information and wisdom on her own journey with complex trauma. And she is an absolute inspiration in where she has come from and where she is now and how she is sharing all of it to empower others and create a better world. Please join me in hearing Sarah's story. Sarah, you're empowering complex post-traumatic stress survivors on your Instagram account, Breaking Down CPTSD, where you're offering resources and community to help survivors recovering from complex trauma. You're building a beautiful community and really empowering your followers with everything that you've learned on your own journey. Can you share a little bit about your memories of growing up? Yeah, so I have been reflecting on this question. I honestly think for a long time, I didn't have very many memories of childhood. It's it's interesting to me, my timeline, my internal timeline didn't feel like it started till like third grade. It actually felt like they dropped right, you know, dropped right down in my timeline in third grade. And then everything before that was very, I don't know what to call it, fuzzy or incomplete, right? And even those memories that I feel like where the timeline starts later are also, they just don't feel real. Like they just feel like pictures or a movie. What's interesting to me looking back is that I didn't find that, what's the word, uh, like abnormal, right? I just thought everybody must not remember their childhood, right? I didn't really think of it as like a cue that something might, might have happened. And I think also that like, as I grew up into my adulthood, you know, I think at least for me, I think when we're growing up, we think this just must be how it is for everybody, right? We don't have a sense that like what we're going through is different than the person or family that lives down the street, right? Until we maybe get out in the world. And that's what happened for me as I got out in the world, especially after I met my partner who I later married. And he was like, I remember lots from my childhood and these memories. And I was like, Hmm, you know, and, and I think where I started to maybe realize something was up was that I did start to struggle so much through my adulthood, kind of moving towards the goals and the values that I wanted, you know, I thought I would grow up and I would become an adult and I would make my choices, right. And I would be able to go after the things that I wanted. And it wasn't that easy. And I later in recovery met a friend who said, it's like you didn't have the light or the memo for life. <laughs> like I'd missed the instructions, right? And I felt really, really lost. Well, at the time when I like looked back, I think because of those large missing pieces and the sense that what had occurred, I think, right, a lot of the abuse is what was the missing pieces. The neglect was what felt like normal, right? I didn't really think when I started this journey, this is about my childhood, right? This is about what happened um, then. So my memories of childhood, to answer that question, have always been kind of a puzzle. I have called myself the investigator of my own life, <laughs> where I've like had to piece together my, my timeline. I have a better picture of it now, but it's still fairly fuzzy and and incomplete. I do know that I experienced varying levels of different kinds of abuse, that the dysfunctional patterns in my family, right, created a lot of difficulty for me later in life. But yeah, I, I still, I, to this day, I, I have, like, I have a hard time naming anything, you know, too specific. Yeah. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because it is just a kind of a state of confusion. I think a lot of people just sort of grow up and then it's just confusing. They're just Mm -hmm. like, you know, nothing's that clear. And like you say, there's no kind of roadmap to what you're meant to be doing. So what sort of age were you when you felt like you realized something wasn't right? Yeah. So I think like there was this big, I don't know what to call it. I guess like a moment where I would call like I got cracked open where I started to realize like I really wasn't doing okay. And for me, it was right after I was married. I think like I'm, I'm with this partner and I want to be close and build intimacy and connection and authenticity. And intellectually, I think I can do that. And yet emotionally, Um, and right in my body, I can't, it's really, really difficult. And I think coming into that relationship, into that vulnerability, just kind of opened up a lot of these past traumas to come to the surface at the time though, you know, like I said, I didn't, because I didn't remember, um, a lot of, um, my childhood and because I didn't have a sense that it was, that it was just thought it was regular childhood. When all of this stuff started to come up and mostly that's like triggers, I have no context for, right? Like what's happening. And so it feels like I'm losing my mind, right? Like I, I feel like I've gone from mostly coping, right? And by coping, I mean, <laughs> The defense mechanisms I've picked up are working okay, right? But then at some point, those really deteriorate and I'm just really not able to function very well. And I have this partner in front of me who wants, you know, we want to build a life together. And so at that point, it was like, okay, no idea what's going on. The only thing I really do know is that I have to get some help right? I don't know what this is, but it's definitely getting in the way of, you know, what I want, which is to like build this relationship um, with my partner to build this life, to move towards the goals that I have. That was like my early twenties is when that happened. And so who was the first person that was sort of able to help you to unravel what was actually happening? That's a really, really good question. I wish it would hap- uh, it would have happened sooner <laughs> than it did because I think, you know, I am this early 20-year-old, newly married student going to college. We don't really have any context for, you know, what's presenting itself, which is a lot of trauma, a lot of triggers, tons of dysregulation, suicidal ideation. I mean, I am just right. Like I am in a really, a really dark place. I don't write like, I'm not very familiar at the time with mental health. Um, I've never gone to therapy before. (laughs) So I kind of just go out and pick up, right. Whatever resources right in front of me. A lot of what I pick up earlier is not very helpful at all. And it takes me like almost eight to nine years to finally find a person who's sitting across from me who can start to give me um, guidance and explanations about what I'm experiencing and they start to make sense, right, to me and they resonate. So it takes me quite a bit of time to get into a place where uh, it's trauma-informed is what I would call it. And I'm sitting across from a therapist who's using the words complex trauma. And uh, when, at first I was like, is that a real thing? Like, is that just mean really complicated trauma? <laughs> like, what, what is that? Like, I didn't, I just thought he was like tacking complex onto trauma. I didn't understand what he was trying to say. And it was in that context that I picked up. Pete Walker's book, which I think had just been published, his book, Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving. So with this therapist that I finally find in this book, I'm like, oh, this is the memo, (laughs) right? This is what I've been looking for. It explained so clearly um, 
what I'd been living, right? And that was really relieving. At the time, I still have a hard time seeing that as childhood trauma, right? I'm like, really? But I think I just resonated so much with this book and like what my therapist was saying that I was like, I, I don't know for sure, but this still feels like the right place. Like, I feel like I'm in, you know, the place I'm going to get the right help. Yeah. And it must have been, it must have been some kind of relief there that all of a sudden things started making sense because it really is like kind of walking around in the dark, isn't it? For years, like that's a long time from starting till, you know, nine years later, you're still really not getting any information you're still kind of going what is wrong what's wrong here and finally somebody says it's called this it must just be a relief in many ways yeah I think early on I'm getting a diagnosis of like generalized depression you know generalized anxiety my first therapist is like a sex therapist because like the idea is that's just sexual dysfunction all of that is true, but it's not really what's going on right underneath. And so, yeah, like you said, for years, I'm just kind of stumbling around, picking up, you know, like whatever I can to find some relief, but never feeling like it's lasting really until, and I remember the therapist I was seeing before I started seeing my current therapist was a a CBT therapist, a cognitive behavioral therapist. And she was working with me, like, you know, replacing these negative thoughts with positive thoughts and my self-care behaviors and all. And I remember coming into her office and I said, I'm doing everything that you're asking me to do. And I don't feel any better. <laughs> like this, I, I don't think this is working. Like what else can we do? And I was really lucky, I think, in that she didn't say you're not working hard enough or um, you're just trauma, you know, treatment resistant or something. She said, you know, I know this other therapist who is practicing EMDR. Maybe that's something that could work for you. And so I uh, transferred over to this other therapist and that's when right, he started using words that made sense to me, which was like, you know, this complex trauma, this complex PTSD helped me recognize it as triggers, right? And all of these words, I was all of a sudden, yeah, so relieved. I think that's such a human experience that when we don't have words for what we're going through, we can feel really crazy, right? Like, that there's something really wrong with us. And when we finally have words that explain and speak to our experience, it's, it is, it's so incredibly relieving. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if you can explain your understanding of what complex trauma is. Yeah. Um, this is a question I get often. I'm getting better and better at <laughs> describing it because it's really complicated. Right. So when my therapist was like, this is complex trauma. And I was like, what does that even, what does that even mean? I think over the years, what I've come to see it as, I think if we compare it to PTSD, which is something that's been um, around longer and maybe more familiar with, which is the idea that a person experiences event, an event that's traumatic for their nervous system meaning it pushes them beyond their abilities to cope in that moment. They go through, right, like a trauma response. Um, and then later might experience triggers, hypervigilance, avoidance, right, around that, like anything that might relate to that specific event. It's tricky for complex PTSD survivors because there's usually not this one big event that we can identify, right, as the moment that trauma happens. It's more like an accumulation of experiences, of interactions over a period of time. And those experiences are often relational, right? So they are um, traumatic experiences, often with like, people who are significant 
to us in our life, people that um, we love and we like are they're supposed to take care of us. And then it also, because it's chronic, usually has like a developmental aspect to it, meaning, right, like the way we are growing up, the way our brains are developing, our identities are developing are oriented towards survival and, and trauma, right? And all of that gets kind of woven together. And so when you come out the other end of that, you have those kind of same symptoms of PTSD, triggers, hypervigilance, emotional avoidance. You also have profound levels of dissociation. You have a fragmented identity, which usually feels like I don't really know who I am relational difficulties, a really hard time emotionally regulating, right? And so there's like (laughs) a lot of different symptoms that are, um, that accompany it, but it's hard to identify, right? Because we don't have this context or this moment that's like, oh, this happened. And before it happened, I knew who I was, right? And like, I can kind of remember the before, and now I'm in the after. Um, a complex PTSD survivor, normally, this is true for me, it's it's like there doesn't feel like there's any before. There's just the trauma. Yeah, wow. So out of those symptoms, all of the things that you mentioned there, were you suffering with all of those different things? Yeah, I think like, like when I look back at my life now, especially like adolescence and young adulthood, I can see myself trying to cope, right, in a variety of unhealthy ways. And I also see that at that age, I'm experiencing periods of triggers, dissociation, um, emotional dysregulation, but I keep, what's the word, kind of like soldiering up, kind of getting stoic and like, right, really muscling my way through and then breaking down, and then muscling my way through. And I'm over the years picking up, right? Often, I think complex trauma survivors, in their desperation to cope, we just pick up whatever we can. We don't, one of the reasons we're experiencing complex trauma is because we don't have resources and skills to navigate this. And so We're picking up codependency, perfectionism, addictions, eating disorders, right? We're struggling in our relationships. We're struggling in our jobs. There's dissociation. And I can see all of that playing out. There's definitely a point in my life, like I say, where like it all kind of cracks open and it becomes like a crisis where I'm very triggered. I'm very hypervigilant. But this is why this living this way is so exhausting. It is so, so exhausting, right? Because yeah, those symptoms are always there on some level. And even in recovery, right? We're kind of juggling multiple balls at once, right? Trying to address a lot of different areas. Yeah. Yes, it is exhausting, isn't it? There's so much going on there. And when you talk about dissociation, it's the mind taking you away from the triggers. Is that what's happening? What does it feel like when you're dissociated? So there's a couple of different ways that that showed up for me. Dissociative amnesia, which is what I mentioned earlier, right? Like just like huge chunks of my life in terms of memory are missing. And by memory, I mean like kind of the typical memory, like narrative memory we think about where it's like there's the beginning, the middle, ending of this event, I can tell you what happened, like who was there, that kind of memory, right, is missing for me. I think another way that I experience it throughout my life is like feeling like I'm not real, or like this world is not real, you know, derealization, depersonalization, feeling disconnected from my body, right, and what it needs and what it's telling me, disconnection from my emotional self, right? Like a sense of numbness. And then what I kind of discovered was that I, there's a, a level of dissociation called structural dissociation, which is where we end up fragmenting parts of ourselves that are deemed unacceptable by the people around us. 
And in order to survive, we push those parts into, we repress them, we push them away. And so I remember into my recovery, I heard this phrase called soul rupture. And I was like, that's what it feels like. Wow. It feels like I've been broken into you know, millions of little pieces, each little piece is trying to figure things out. You know, I didn't feel whole, meaning like the whole sense of me. So yeah, there's so many levels to the dissociation. And I think that's what makes it incredibly challenging to heal, right? Is because in so many ways, we have worked really hard, right? To keep ourselves safe by pushing parts of ourselves, our emotions, because they hold stuff that's just incredibly painful. And so trying to kind of collect all of that, and bring it back in. It's, it's such tough work. It's really, really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And this first person that you found who was the EMDR practitioner, did you do EMDR at that time? Yeah, I think one thing I like to say, because although I didn't find EMDR until later, I still had done a lot of work. <laughs> I think that that original work, which was learning self-care, learning how to take care of myself on a daily basis, which looked like learning how to set boundaries with the people around me, learning how to say no to things when I was beyond my capacity, um, learning to ask for what I needed, right, and express my feelings. That was some of the footwork that I had been doing before I headed into EMDR. That stuff was important and it was helpful, but I had that sense, right, that like I can do all of this stuff all day, <laughs> And it will be really, really hard to do it. And I still won't, right? Like, I'll still feel like I'm at war with myself, even if I'm, you know, checking off all the boxes <laughs> that my therapist wants me to do. So I entered EMDR, I think, with some levels of stability and safety, which I think is important to, to just mention because EMDR is, uh, <laughs> it's intense. And I think when we get started, I think if I would have started with EMDR, I would have overwhelmed and scared myself right out of recovery, right? Because yeah. it, it is, it's a lot. And so I think, right, there were these kind of stepping stones that got me there. But EMDR was definitely the modality that, what can I say, helped me get at the core, right, of, of what was actually going on. It was a combination of EMDR and inner family systems, which is like a parts work framework. So we utilized those two together. And that's where I started to feel like there's a way through. There's going to be like a place where trauma isn't the biggest thing in my life. I started to feel some hope, right? When I got into those trauma-informed modalities. Yeah. Wow. And so when you finished EMDR, could you see, because I know I've heard from people how hard that is to go through, but did you feel like there was a level of improvement after EMDR? Yeah. So I think at least for me and my partner, right? Like our, our goal, like one of our goals, right? Was to decrease intensity and increase space between triggers, right? And so part of our process was me bringing in, right? Stuff that was already showing up in my life. I think that's what made it slightly more gentle than like going and digging and looking. I already had plenty <laughs> to deal with in my daily life, right? And so I was bringing those kind of triggering experiences I was already experiencing in my daily life. And we were using EMDR to gradually decrease the intensity of that trigger. So it was like, it was literally like a scale, like today it's a, it's 10. And then next week it's a nine and 9.8, right. And like gradually bringing it down where 
that trigger doesn't have the same power it had before. I have an understanding of it, where it's coming from. And it starts to feel like it gets integrated into my past and not just constantly coming up in my present. And then the more I'm doing that with different experiences, right? I have periods where I'm not experiencing triggers, right? And those periods get longer. So it's kind of this like gradual process, but um, right over time, you know, I'd be sitting in his office and there would be moments where um, I'd be like, I think it's been a couple weeks <laughs> since I've had, you know, a major trigger or I'd bring one in and, and he would say, you know, where is that on the scale? like oh, it's like a six and he's like a six that's great <laughs> so I mean I think that's what's tricky about complex trauma is like the victories can feel really small and they are adding up gradually over time till yeah and I think it's hard to see the process and the progress while you're doing it but I could definitely see how EMDR was helping me integrate the stuff that was showing up in my present and processing it and then like putting it back in the past where it belonged. Yeah. And there's a lot of power in that, isn't there too? I mean, like you say, it is a very slow process, but just taking your power back slowly, it must feel good. There must be points where you're just getting some sort of control over this, I guess. Yeah. I think that's a huge, at least that was a big part of um, EMDR processing for me. I mean, part of that is building your capacity, right? Where I start that kind of modality with a, a, a really narrow capacity for handling triggers, right? I don't have a lot of skills. My window of tolerance is very small. So like lots of things can push me out into fight, flight, and freeze. And through EMDR and through that process, right, I'm learning how to widen my window, build skills and resilience dealing with the triggers so that, you know, I, I kind of, I've said that trauma recovery for me, my life doesn't look pain-free, trigger-free, <laughs> trauma-free. It looks like my capacity and my confidence to handle what's presented to me is in such a place that I feel good, right? Like I'm like, I can do this. And if I can't, I know where I'll go for help. And if they can't help me, we're going to figure out the next part, right? So yeah, I think it's that capacity building and that feels amazing, right? That feels like you now have control and choice over how you're responding to this trauma that's presenting itself instead of feeling like the trauma is constantly taking over and controlling your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that flashbacks are part of complex trauma. Is that something you experience? Because I'm just thinking not having sort of memories of your childhood. Are you still able to have flashbacks? Yes. So what's interesting about complex trauma and how it can differ from PTSD or like a one-time event PTSD is that flashbacks for PTSD survivors, right, might be like this image, right? Like there's this remembering. It might just feel like you're flashing back to this specific memory, right? But it has quite a few pieces. There's images, there's this kind of picture. What tends to be true of complex trauma survivors is what's called an emotional flashback, which means we're not flashing back to necessarily like an event or like a context, but we're just being taken back emotionally to a time where maybe we felt terrified, abandoned, overwhelmed, uh, right? Just a variety of feelings that were beyond our capacity to cope at that time. We might often feel that in that moment, we feel childlike or small, or we lose our capacities as adults, right? To, to handle what's in front of us. And our thinking can get really black and white and distorted. This is really hard to name as a flashback because sometimes it just feels like often what I would say is like, what's wrong with me? Like, I feel like I'm, I'm losing myself here. I'm having these moments where I don't even know who I am anymore. And then afterwards I'm like, 
what just happened, right? So disorienting. And I was experiencing, like I said, I think those through adolescence up through young adulthood and adulthood. It was hard to, to recognize it as that. I, I discovered emotional flashbacks in that book by Pete Walker. And I was like, that's what it is, right? That's what it is that I'm experiencing. Yeah. So it's like, for me, it's been more like a regression. It's like, I'm taken back in time emotionally and all of a sudden how I see myself in the world and the people in front of me changes. I don't necessarily like think I'm back at this particular event, right? That I experienced. It's more like I'm back in this feeling, but I don't know where it's coming from. I think that's why they're, they're so incredibly disoriented. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. And can you talk a little bit about boundaries because... I know that complex trauma sufferers often haven't learnt about boundaries or how to put them in place. What was that like for you? That was some of like what I call the early footwork (laughs) that prepared me for trauma processing. I think when I, so I started therapy again for the second time, that eight to nine years in and the first probably three to four years I call was like laying the groundwork. And it was a ton of boundaries. The people in my life at the time, those relationships were continuing cycles, unhealthy and just, you know, dysfunctional cycles. It was all that I knew. My relationships are so strained. I need you to give me like some tools to deal with this relationship stuff. And I think the first book I, I got at that time was Melody Beatty's Codependent more and I was like damn it (laughs) like this is me and I realized you know I I didn't have any boundaries and so it was like learning what a boundary is how to set one how to hold it which was so uh counterintuitive to everything I had grown up experiencing right but my first those first I mean this is like five years before I meet the trauma therapist, that work is like, okay, I have to learn how to say no to people, right? And uh, deal with their responses. And that sounds really simple and it's not, (laughs) especially for a complex trauma survivor, right? It's like, we've done all of this contorting to feel safe and setting a boundary really can feel unsafe to us. Like if we set a boundary, we're going to lose all the people that we care about. You know, we're going to get shamed. We're going to get criticized. And the truth is for me, setting boundaries involved incredible amounts of loss because at that time, right, a lot of the relationships that I, that I was in had a lot of unhealthy patterns and in learning to set boundaries and try to do things differently that really disrupted those relationships and I ended up experiencing a ton of loss it was really I mean I think those are really hard years of recovery what I call differentiating from people stepping back and trying to claim your life that stuff is hard 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 work and so 
being a codependent, you know, being that person, how does it actually feel then? Is it just that you are always putting everybody else's needs first? What What is it? What is codependency? I think for me, um, and I think codependency gets a bad rap, <laughs> meaning like it has a lot of stigma, but what I've come to realize about, and I don't know if codependency is the right word, but that's the word we have, is that it's a survival skill. It's something we pick up to deal with the situations that we're in, and it's incredibly effective <laughs> at keeping us surviving, right, of, from getting day to day in relationships where we're not safe or we're not being accepted or we're experiencing. There, I think there is a lot of shame surrounding codependency, even though it's actually a survival skill that makes a lot of sense. And so for me, it was like codependency meant assessing any situation and deciding how I needed to change myself in order to accommodate and please and make sure that everyone around me is okay right <laughs> and by okay I think what I what I thought back then was like they're not yelling they're not criticizing they're not shaming me right like um, but it was like managing my environment my relationships the people around me by just saying like who do I need to be in this moment so that you're safe <laughs> for me right so and, you know, depending, it was interesting as I like started to take a look at my different relationships, who I was in each one was way different <laughs> depending on what that person needed me to be. Yeah. So like, it didn't even look like one thing all the time. In some places it looked like overworking and perfectionism and overachieving. And in other places it looked like hiding and being as small and quiet as possible. Right. So mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was more like I'm oriented not in discovering who I actually am. I'm more worried about like what you need me to be so that you're okay and your behavior is safe for me. Yeah, I love that description. And that's something that I've definitely struggled with myself. And when you say it gets a bad rap, it's hard because a lot of that is, is also just trying to be a nice person and trying to put people first it's hard to figure out the balance isn't it of what you need for yourself but also what you can give to other people it, it's a difficult thing to figure out and I love the way that you and your husband chat together on your page because it's really real and honest and I think I saw one where you were both talking about interacting in that kind of space where you both have I guess your own issues and triggers and traumas and sometimes there are just not the words to even communicate what it is that you want to say you've got no idea and if you got married so young this must have been quite a battle for a long time for you and your husband to get through all of these times Yes. You know, our story context starts out that before we're married and, and I think like what's, I think something important to mention is like we both grow up in a high demand religion that emphasizes uh, not having premarital sex. And so we're going into this space, not understanding our bodies, not understanding this new aspect of our relationship that we're going to explore really innocent and naive, no awareness of trauma, right? Like we just get married within hours of being married. This stuff starts to come up. It's shocking, like how quickly it started to surface. And we kind of say, you know, we didn't even have a chance to take a deep breath before we were just like thrown in the deep end. And the early years of our marriage are just navigating this intense problem that has no name, right? It just doesn't have a name. We're, we're newlyweds. We're trying to figure out our own relationship. It's, it's a dark, we just call it the dark days because it was just, it was survival. And even in our later years, 
um, as I enter recovery and get kind of plugged into trauma-informed places, part of our healing looks like going back and saying like, wow, (laughs) trauma, like definitely obviously impacted me, but it rippled, like it just tore right through our relationship. And we've had to spend years recovering what did to each of us and what it did to each other, like while we were in the thick of it. Man, this this work, the trauma and recovery are so hard on partnerships, right? It's 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 so isolating. I think we felt like nobody could get this, right? Like we didn't have a lot of people to talk to. And it was just, we just felt like so broken, so broken all the time. Yeah, and it's been, uh, we are celebrating 16 years this month, and it's been a ride for sure. And I think through that process, we've both had to do our own individual work and then our relational work together. I would say there is a way through. It's a tough one, but I think like this speaks to that partnerships that fit in families where you have a complex trauma survivor it's it's not just the survivor who needs support it's the partners it's the children it's that whole little unit right that they have there that whole unit needs support because it's it doesn't just impact I wanted to heal in a vacuum (laughs) not let it affect anybody that's not what happened and so right? We've had to kind of expand our support network to include people that are also helping, you know, Jeff and then our kids too, right? Like we're, we're just fighting this beast all together. Wow. And that's amazing. Congratulations on the 16 years. I mean, that's, that's an achievement with everything that you've dealt with as well on top of that to still be thriving and um yeah that's amazing I know that a lot of our healing in complex trauma is around the grief for the life that we feel that we never had or for many losses can you talk about the losses and the grieving in complex trauma yeah I think that that tends to be at least for me it was right what was at the core of trauma processing I think it often takes a lot of time to get to those deep layers because we have, I mean, reflecting on my own experience, right? It's like the very first thing I have to, you know, kind of address is like, I need to create a a life or a space where I can actually do this work safely and supported. You know, initially my first phase of healing is all of this footwork of boundary setting and self-care and learning emotional intelligence, right? Like some really basic skill. And then it's like dipping your toe, right? Into these traumatic experiences. You know, I think we, we spend decades wrapping protections around this pain, right? This grief, right? And it's just layered, 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 layered so that we don't get hurt again. In recovery, we're peeling those back. And I think I wasn't prepared, right, for what I was going to find underneath. And the grief is, I mean, I've heard it described so many ways, and, and a lot of these resonate. A bottomless pit, right? An endless tunnel, treading water, right? Like, it's just, it can feel like this idea that, like, if I, if I start to grieve, I'll never stop, right? Because it's so layered, so complex that it can, it can be, you know, hard to name. I just did a series on grief and, you know, talked about how I, the losses I've experienced, my own sense of self that I didn't feel like I got to be a kid, that I had to grow up so fast that instead of discovering who I was, I had to build an identity around getting by, right. And surviving that a lot of my decisions early on in my life aren't based on like what I want. It's like what I'm afraid of. That's what's driving me. It definitely impacts the relationships that I have with my partner, with my kids, 
I experience as losses as I differentiate from my family of origin. My body has been through the ringer with this thing. I feel like I could really just go on and on for so long with it. And I think that that's what's really overwhelming about the work is that that pain can feel so, so enormous. I think what I said in that series was that there are griefs that we will we will listen to and we will hear and we will be able to integrate those into our past. There will also be griefs that we want to live with, right? That are something that we'll carry through and we'll learn to live with both our joy and the grief that we have from these experiences. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, heavy, isn't it? It's a, it's a lot. It's so much to get through. I know that you use different modalities to kind of help with releasing. And I know you've done some work around the vagus nerve regulation, humming and chanting. Can you explain the importance of the vagus nerve? Yeah. So actually, this was a big turning point in my when I, I mean, I'm a, I like to think my way through problems. I like to read my way through problems. And, you know, for a long time, it was like, I was consuming a ton of information about complex trauma, thinking that if I could just understand it, then that would be enough. I got to this point where I was hitting some walls and I was realizing that like, in these books, what they're telling me is that the trauma resides in my body, right? And that's where I need to go, right? I need to be able to feel it, to listen to it, to regulate it, to support it. And so that's where I kind of started looking at somatic modalities, things that approach the nervous system, right? And had what I, what we call like a bottom up approach. So instead of just like top down thinking cognitive, right? Like just change the way that I see this. It was more like finding ways to support what my body was feeling, grieving when it was activated, when it was in crisis. How do I, how do I support that? Because telling myself to calm down (laughs) or telling myself that I'm safe wasn't, wasn't enough. So I got into the polyvagal theory and started learning about how we can utilize body-based tools to regulate our nervous system. One way that we do that is by activating the vagus nerve, that practice that you mentioned, the healing tools, the other practice we're using those body-based tools to activate the vagus nerve. So it fits in flight or fight or freeze, we're using vibrations, we're using movement, we're using our senses to activate that nerve to walk us back to parasympathetic, safe and social, right? Because once our nervous system activates the alarm and we find ourselves in that sympathetic state, right? Like physical changes are happening in our body And if we're just like, calm down, body, (laughs) it doesn't work, right? And so it's like, we need to speak the language of the body, use those tools to say, okay, I'm activated here. I'm going to use this tool and then gradually, oh, like I can return out of a space where like my breathing can slow down moment. I can notice what's happening around me again, right? And those, those tools can help us do that. Yes. You use tapping as well. Is that the same sort of thing? Yeah. So EMDR is bilateral stimulation, meaning like, so one, the way I've used it is paddles that vibrate back and forth in your hand. You can also use eye movements, right? Or tapping, right? Which is this bilateral stimulation going from side to side, right? Which is helping bridge that connection from the alarm that's going off in our brain and nervous system back over to like the part of our brain that can problem solve and reason, right? And respond, not just react to this situation that we're in. That's just another, right? That's That would be an example of 
EMDR translating into that kind of somatic tool that we can use to process that very physical response that's happening in our bodies. Right. And what is body armoring? So I did a post on body armoring a while ago. It was really, really popular. And it's the idea that especially right for a complex trauma survivor, we need to think about our nervous systems as being in a constant state of alert and monitoring. So I call it, or we call it in our community, the smoke alarm, which is the amygdala, is monitoring for threats. And it's like in this hypersensitive place. That isn't just something we're thinking. That's something we experience in our bodies. And it can look like this kind of constant muscle tension, right? Like we're guarded up against what could happen. That kind of tension also is experienced like in our viscera. So we're like clenching our stomach. So then we might have like GI issues, back pains, difficulty relaxing, problems with our jaw. The actual ailment that shows up can be different for different survivors. But the whole idea is that like our bodies are very physically on guard, right? Waiting for the next shoe to drop. And that living in that state takes a toll on our organs, on our muscles, on our bones, on our brains, on our nervous system. And we experience deterioration. Okay. So body armoring is just that holding everything tight. Interesting. So if somebody's listening today and they feel like, oh, this could be me, they're maybe just in a state of confusion. This all sounds like something that resonates. What would you recommend as their first steps for somebody in that situation? So I think like the first two steps that I feel like are most important, at least they were really helpful for me. One is this kind of education knowledge element, which I got through reading Pete Walker's book, Complex PTSD, From Surviving to Thriving. I think why that's helpful is that just kind of lays out a general roadmap for this process, right? Like, okay, like I resonate with this aspect. This is starting to make sense, right? Like I'm just getting a layout of the land here and I'm okay. That looks like me and that that makes sense. The second thing from there that is really important and I would also say sometimes tremendously difficult is finding a trauma-informed practitioner or therapist to collaborate with on through this process. If you're looking for somebody, the modality that you pick up, whether that's are in our family systems, somatic experiencing, like whatever modality you find that works well for you, who you're practicing that modality with is so, so important because a huge aspect of this healing is relational, right? We need to learn how to build trust and safety and honesty and authenticity with the people around us. And if we can't do that, in the therapeutic environment where we're trying to process, right, our most deepest pain, it's gonna be really hard, right, to move forward. So when you're looking for somebody, I think I had to learn first that it's okay to ask questions about the people I'm inviting into this process. And I want to know, you know, what what credentials and what training they have, but I also wanna know what their thoughts are on trauma and how does that inform how they approach their clients? Is there a goal to tell me where to go or is there a goal to allow me to guide my recovery process and they're collaborating me, you know, with me through that? Are they willing to listen to my lived experience, which can differ survivor to survivor? And are, do they have some flexibility and ingenuity that if we hit a spot where it's like, I need something different that they're willing to not just say, well, you're just broken. It's not working being like, huh, let's get creative. Let's get curious. Let's figure out what we need to do next. And if I am not the person that can offer it to you, how can I help you find it? Right? Because 
recovery, at least for me, right, has never been like one thing. And I've needed a variety of people to get me through different phases of my journey. And there was no one person that like had it all. But finding people who encourage you to trust your own process and who are willing to collaborate and create and be innovative through this process, those are the people. <laughs> those are yeah. the people that you want. Yeah. And as you say, it's not easy to find that person, is it? I mean, it is really about somebody that you can really relate to. And sometimes it's a search that takes a while. Bring back joy into our lives after trauma is so important, isn't it? How are you reclaiming your joy? Yeah, I think this is a tough one for, well, it was a tough one for me. And the reason why is I think the way I looked at recovery initially was like a finish line. I'm going to do this work. I'm going to hit the finish line. And then I'll be able to be happy and joyful and connected and authentic. So yeah, it was tricky. <laughs> I was like waiting for it to happen and realized that part of the process was actually realizing that it's the and in both. Like I am also processing trauma, working on hard things, deconstructing relationships and finding ways to play, finding ways to be adventurous silly, right? Like, and reclaiming joy. I think that part's tricky because what I hear and what I have also experienced is that even those good emotions can feel scary. Joy can feel like unsafe because we're waiting for the next horrible thing to happen right after the joy, right? Um, Or we're afraid it's not going to last. Or when we feel it, we feel guilty for feeling. I mean, there's right so many things. And I think just like we are so committed often and dedicated to the trauma work and the breaking down and the breaking through the cycles and all of that stuff, and we keep returning to that and keep putting our time and effort. I think finding joy and happiness and playfulness is the same way, right? We just have to keep finding ways to cultivate it and walking through that experience of I have walked through this joyful moment, even when it felt scary or it felt like it was going to go away. And the more that I do that, the more familiar those experiences feel to me. So I think like... It's definitely layered. It's figuring out what brings you joy and practicing that and incorporating that into your life with as much enthusiasm and dedication and perseverance as you do to breaking down all the the hard stuff, right? Like tackle that joy, that happiness, that building the life that you want with as much gusto because it's often both, right? Like I'm deconstructing my old life, my old way of living, my old way of relating at the same time that I'm building the life that I want, the relationships that I want, the the way I want to live. It's like they're happening at the same time. It's not like we deconstruct it all and then all of a sudden, whoa, there's the life that we want. Yeah. So I would just say it's, it's not necessarily going to be easy, but bring that dedication and perseverance you have breaking down the old to building the new yeah I love that such good advice so Sarah you are breaking down CPTSD on Instagram and you also have a website can you share with us what you're offering and everything about what you're doing so this is a great opportunity just to help orient people to what's on my profile so when you visit my page breaking down CPTSD You're going to find a couple of things there. There's obviously the grid with all of the posts, but there is also an icon for guides. Everything that I'm posting, I'm doing as a weekly series, and then I'm packing that information into a guide and putting it in the archive for future use. So when you access the guide icon on my profile, you're going to find like everything arranged by topic. That would be, I think, a really great place to start. What about this? Or I have this question or 
how do I do this? That's where I would send people initially. Also part of my process as I'm creating content is to translate that into tangible resources that people can use at home, right? Or in their day-to-day -day life. And so I've created the OWL Survivor Shop that stands for One Wild Life. And that wild means like the, the good wild and the crazy wild. But in there, there's an affirmation deck. I just released an emotions life support deck. There is a personal journal. So those are resources that are hopefully taking the content from breaking down CPTSD and putting it into a place where you can utilize it in your day-to-day your -day experience. On my website, trying to think what there is on there right now. I know there's information about me. There's some of my publications that I've written in the past. I think in the future, there will be more offering in terms of group work, things like that. And then the last thing I would say is that if you're interested in this kind of body-based somatic practice, curious about regulating your nervous system from that polyvagal approach, every Tuesday at 10.30 um, Mountain Standard Time, we do a collective practice. We practice one tool per month, that same tool every month to help our nervous systems get used to that. All of those are recorded and available in that guide section, but that's something that you can participate in for free if you're interested in like exploring, exploring that option. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. That sounds like there's so many resources for people. So please go and give Sarah a follow on Instagram and have a look at everything that she's doing there. It's all so good. Sarah, thank you so much for all of your amazing information today. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. I just think that it will really resonate with so many people and it's been really wonderful chatting with you today. Yeah, such a pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Check the show notes for a direct link to all books recommended in this episode. Come and follow me on Instagram at mybigloveproject. Drop a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week. 